Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. I'm C.S. Song, KPFA's associate theater critic, and my guests in studio are Sharon Omi and Yurie Collins, actors who play a mother and daughter living in a Japanese coastal town in The Great Wave, a play by Francis Turnley, now at Berkeley Rep. It's directed by Mark Wing Davey. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Sharon Omi, what is this play about? Okay, I can speak from my character's perspective. I think it's about great, hard political things happening, you know, countries keeping secrets and the impact that that has on an individual family, on a mother and her daughters. The play does begin specifically with a family, right? So there's a mother and two daughters and a visiting boy, a neighborhood boy, and it's a stormy night. And and maybe, Yurie, you could take it up at that point? Sure. Um, well, the first scene itself is kind of like a storm. I mean, there's an actual storm going on outside, but the way uh, the story kicks off the inciting incident of um, my sister Hanako, my character's sister Hanako, running away everything leading up to that moment is kind of like a storm. There's a lot of, um, you know, sibling drama. We argue. Sharon's character, our mother, is upset at Hanako for not doing well in school. So there's like this like family argument. And there's also a lot of like teenage like heat with uh, when Tetsuo comes over. My character Reiko obviously likes him and wants something there. Uh, Hanako gets in the way. There's like all this like teenage hormone tension. So there's a lot of like heat in the first few minutes. And then it just kind of like explodes into this like storm sequence. Um, and I agree with Sharon about what this play is about. You know, it's essentially about family and family bond in the backdrop of this political thriller. I think also the play is about the history and the past that is inevitably standing behind us at all times, all these different characters, they're dedicating their lives to something, each and every one of them. But I feel like that decision is sort of not only under your personal control, but is affected by things that's happened before you were even born and what your ancestors went through. Yeah, there's kind of, would you agree, there's kind of a an epic quality to this play, the intersection of personal and political, the the very intimate and yet the very the very grand, the geopolitical, the the global. Absolutely. And I think that's what's really interesting about it, is that you watch these people that are kind of grappling with things that are so beyond what their knowledge, what their political knowledge is, what their even their geographic knowledge is they come from this tiny sea coastal town and all of a sudden they're involved in something that involves Japanese politics, Korean politics. It's international. Yeah, the scale of it is very frustrating in a way because um, 
I'm going to mention a, a big plot point here, but I think it's okay. Uh, Hanako, it turns out, is in North Korea. She was taken there. And these are all based on true stories, of course. And the proximity from North Korea to Japan is it's so small. It's you know very close to each other. And the fact that she's unreachable when, in fact, she's just a couple hours away, I feel like solidifies how powerless these people, this family, must have felt. And I understand that, uh, Yurie, you were born and you grew up in Japan, Wakayama, Japan. How much did you draw on your understanding of life and family life in Japan in, in preparing for and adjusting to this role in this play? I think Japan is a very loyal culture, and there's a lot of importance in family, especially once the child grows up. It's very much in the culture that now the child will take care of the parents. Um, a lot of Japanese families live together for a very long time. I have friends who are you know, my age in my hometown who still live with their parents, not in like a shameful way or like, a, oh, this is just temporary kind of way, but in just a, that's how things are. Um, so I definitely thought about this idea of family and dedication and like commitment to each other. And considering the fact that in the play, my mother, uh, Sharon's character is a single mother, you know, in this working class background. And my character, Reiko, is, was supposed to be like the, the first one who goes to university, as uh, Sharon's character points out. And I think there's a sense of this responsibility uh, and dedication for the family uh, in order to like make the family ma name proud. And Sharon, Omi, what can you share about your relationship, your mother-daughter relationship with the character uh, that Yurie portrays on stage? Uh, the, the dynamics, um, what were you thinking about as you were uh, trying to carry out what you thought Francis Turnley intended with this relationship? You know, I'm Japanese-American, so I'm like really kind of far removed from actual Japan, but I do feel like one of the things that has come down, you know, just probably through our DNA is this sense of endurance and of strength and of family. And I guess one of the things that I feel so strongly in my relationship with Reiko is that Francis doesn't write a lot of scenes for us necessarily, but there's such a strong bond. And the tragedy that happens to the family is so immense and so deeply felt by both of us. But what I find really fascinating is that we never talk about it. And that, to me, feels so Japanese. <laughs> and, and I love that. But I, and I also feel like part of the mother's political process, you know, she basically goes from being this waitress in a small town who's probably never, ever left to really taking on the political responsibility for, for finding and helping these people that have been kidnapped. And I really think that she does that 
as much for Reiko, her daughter, as she does for herself, that there's just a sense of, of wanting, of knowing that that's the way to help her daughter and herself through this situation is to make it a bigger picture than just the fact that we're trying to find our other daughter, Hanako. Sharon Omi and Yurie Collins join me in studio. They are actors who play a Japanese mother and daughter in The Great Wave. It's a play by Francis Turnley, now at Berkeley Repertory Theater, in its North American premiere. The play is directed by Mark Wing Davey, and as my guests have indicated, it, it begins with the, the family, the mother and two daughters, in their coastal town in Japan, uh, but then one of the daughters disappears, and it is later revealed, but revealed early on in the play, that she's being held in North Korea, that she's been taken across the water to North Korea. Yurie, so there, as you've mentioned, one of you has mentioned, there, there's a lot here about uh, Japanese history, about North Korean history, about the relationship between those two countries, and it, it's, it's quite fraught. How much, Yurie, did you know about the geopolitics of this region before you encountered this script, The Great Wave? I knew some history about these abductions that took place uh, in the 70s and 80s by North Koreans of Japanese civilians. Only a few years ago, when I read this book by uh, Robert Boyton called Invitation Only Zone, and it documents uh, real statements and just like his investigation and the history of the search by these families who are demanding their loved ones return from North Korea. And, you know, it was just like a crazy story. Like you couldn't believe that it was real because these families one day suddenly lost their their daughter, their son, their brother, sister, and didn't know what happened to them. And it was just kind of like case closed from there. And then decades later, it was found out that they had been in North Korea all this time. Um, in terms of the history of Japan and the Korean Peninsula, I have to say that I've been ignorant for a very long time. It was also recent that I started to learn more and more about the history between the two countries. Um, because growing up in Japan, there wasn't enough accurate information about all of the, the crimes that Japan committed in Korea, especially during the uh, occupation in the early 1900s uh, that lasted basically up until the World War, uh, Second World War. And then, of course, there's the, the Korean War uh, in the 50s. But um, it was basically cultural genocide that Japan inflicted upon Koreans, uh, believing that they were superior, they were a superior race. And it was just shocking to learn about all of this. And yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of tension, I think, between the two cultures. Um, just to share like a personal fact, I was born and raised in Japan. My mother is Japanese. Uh, my father is uh, from the U.S. He's from New York. And my Japanese mother, turns out she's actually ethnically Korean. Her parents immigrated from Korea. And that's something I didn't know about until I was a teenager. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's cool to be doing this play about these two cultures that are, like, very different, but also similar. Um, and there's all this history behind it. And it's much better now, you know, more and more as it's 2019. Uh, however, like, my mother has kind of 
terrible stories of like growing up and um, sort of having to hide the fact that she was Korean because there was definitely some racism and discrimination there. Japan annexed Korea in 1910, and an extended period of occupation and colonial rule followed, ending in 1945, basically the end of World War II. And um, hundreds of thousands of Koreans were engaged in forced labor in Japan during the decades of occupation. And there were the, quote, comfort women, Korean girls and women who were uh, forced into sexual slavery, servicing Japanese soldiers fighting in World War II. Um, Sharon, how important is the issue of either sharing information or misinformation or withholding information from people, from populations in this play, both in North Korea and in Japan? It really feels like information is withheld by, you know, both Japan and Korea in order to make to make them look better and to make them feel more powerful. But really what's at stake are the individual lives of these people. And it's crazy to me the level of denial that, that you know, basically a Japanese official can just look at you and say, you know what, that's just not true, when they actually know it's true. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, and. This play is about, in large part, about a kind of activism, right? The activism of, of you and your very, you know, I guess obsession might be a, a, a way to describe uh, Yurie's character's feeling toward finding out what happened to her sister, Hanako. Um, can you both talk about that that aspect of the play, the, the activism, this sort of relentless pursuit of truth and maybe the toll that you see it taking on your respective characters? Yeah. I, one of the things I find so fascinating about what Francis has written is that the journey for the mother, anyway, starts off as is just her inability to let go of her daughter, that it's all about—it's very personal. It's like, this is my life, and this is what needs to happen, and how do I make this happen? But what happens by the second act is that the search becomes larger. You know, she finds herself in, you know, the Japanese foreign minister's office, where I, I'm sure she never expected to be. And all of a sudden, her search becomes less personal and more about all of the people that she's representing. And I love that that happens, that she all of a sudden goes, wait a minute, it's not just my daughter. It's these 14 other people that have lost their children. And, and so there's this active politicization of this woman. And then the other scene that really strikes me is right after that, then she comes in contact with the Korean spy who supposedly worked with her daughter. And that, to me, is a fascinating thing, too, because as, as the mother, you're looking at this woman who has blown up a plane, who has killed hundreds of people, and yet you're also realizing that this girl may have been the one human friendship or contact with your daughter. And then all of a sudden, then it becomes about what has my daughter had to do 
in order to survive. And so all of a sudden, her her world is just growing in these, you know, radical ways from personal to political. And I, and I love the way that the playwright has done that. And Yurie, what are your thoughts about this theme of activism? Because I know from your bio that you engage in activism in, in real life, that you consider activism to be an important part of, of, of who you are and, and what you do. So uh, what was that like acting in a play where you are an activist, you are seeking truth and a kind of justice, and yet you have this background of being a part of um, movements that are pushing for that in, in real life? Sure. I just, um, it was so great to just hear Sharon describe this uh, perspective of her character, you know, going from personal to political, because although Reiko in the play is sort of like spearheading this, you know, movement of like the association of the families, um, I really think it's Sharon that's secretly uh, leading the way. Um, in terms of activism, um, yeah, I think acting and activism kind of go hand in hand for me. Uh, my acting teacher taught us that we, as artists, should hold a mirror up to society, um, mirror up to nature. And I think a huge part of activism is telling the truth. You know, government, corporations cover up a lot of um, important things that people have the right to know about and... I mean, the whole play is about my character trying to reveal this truth and seeking a, a just outcome because what's happening is so unjust. So, yeah, uh, when I when I send in my audition tape, I I had to sort of rush to get it in because I was participating in this big climate action the same weekend and I knew I was going to be MIA for like a couple of days. So I had to uh, get my tape in sort of in a rush, like I would have wanted more time, but I kind of had no choice. I was very deeply involved in this action. So, and I was kind of like, oh man, I wish I had more time, but I got the part. So I don't know, I guess I feel like maybe the energy of the activism, like, you know, red in Deco and, you know, I'm glad. <laughs> I love that my, my acting daughter, when she's not on stage with me, is doing her community service work. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she right because she was arrested. She, how many hours of service did you have to put in? Um, just a day's worth of community service, sort of spread out while I've yeah. been here uh, in the Bay Area. Uh, but I was very lucky. Uh, I had a lawyer in New York who was able to arrange that for me, so that I could be out here and do this play and also uh, complete my required uh, community service hours. What were you arrested for? Um, <laughs> I, I climbed the New York Times building uh, with uh, two other people while there was a massive die-in on the street in front of us. So this was 8th Avenue and uh, 42nd, 43rd, something like that in Manhattan. A total of 70 people were arrested, but only um, myself and two others were sort of handled separately for higher charges because we had climbed the Times building. But we were calling attention to the New York Times for not adequately reporting the climate emergency and for having dirty ties with fossil fuels. It was a big sort of tell the truth, hashtag tell the truth, uh, hashtag earth to media campaign that this group, Extinction Rebellion, has been doing uh, in New York. But it's a global movement starting in the UK. 
Now, Francis Turnley could have had a lot of uh, didacticism in this play. He could have had characters lay out the history, the tension, the comfort woman. And yet, I mean, while he alludes to it, he doesn't like hammer you over the head with it. The, the story remains on a kind of personal level, personal interacting with and intersecting with political, but you don't get that kind of extended uh, dissertation on the historical background. How do you both feel about that? I'm blown away by the way Francis writes character. He's, I don't know if you know his history, but he's, you know, he's a sheep farmer. And, and that's what he does. And I, and I thought, gosh, how, how does he come up? Because he doesn't just come up with the Japanese side. He comes up with the Korean officials. He comes up with the Korean spy. And he makes them all really human and gives them really specific characteristics that feel just that, that you could live in them. And, uh, yeah, I have, I have a lot of admiration for his work. I agree. I think the humanity in this play is so beautiful and heartbreaking every single time. Um, I also love that in this play, there's not a clear good guy and bad guy, even though it's North Korea that's doing these abductions because of this humanity that he's bringing to every single character. I feel like you are able to sympathize with everybody, you know, because these North Korean uh, spies and soldiers who are following orders um, and committing, you know, what immediately seems like an awful crime, which it is. But once you get to know them and understand where they're coming from and the kind of pressure they're under, and then, of course, the history of the two cultures, all of that just makes you go, oh, my God, like, who am I to judge, kind of? Like, you can't. I also kind of want to make sure we, we just mention the, the scene, the, the design. So the, the scenic designer is Chika Shimizu, what did you, it's all very, very impressive and kind of epic in its own way. I mean, what were your impressions when you first saw the sets? I have to say, I mean, I feel like she totally encapsulates what has happened dramaturgically in the play is that she's created this incredibly large, immense seawall that you just look at it and people look so little next to it. And that just feels like a motif of the play of, you know, what the political power is and what these tiny people are trying to do. And yet she has these tiny pallets that come on with our kitchen and our living area. And on the wall, she's posted things, I love this, of like Reiko's chores, Hanako's chores, what does Etsuko do? So, and, and like newspaper articles of events, recreational events that we were all going to go to as a family. And just like little tiny things that are so full of expression. Yeah, the wall is, the texture of it, the, the feeling it gives you is like very kind of cold and industrial to me but at the same time has this like sort of infiniteness to it like it can fit anywhere because it, it, it flies in and out uh, over the course of the play as the backdrop of all these different scenes but however it, it always works and yes the set was really exciting to encounter because Every single detail was really cool. Even like the pencils that uh, Reiko uses in the beginning when she's doing her homework are like Japanese pencils. 
And I was really surprised by all of that. I thought it was very cool. Yurie Collins and Sharon Omi join me in studio. They are cast members in the Berkeley Rep production of The Great Wave. It's a play by Francis Turnley, who happens to be part Japanese, part Northern Irish. And it is directed by Mark Wing Davey. It's now at Berkeley Repertory Theater through October 27th. For more information and for tickets, you can call 510-647-2949. Or you can go to berkeleyrep.org. Sharon, Yurie, I... Enjoyed your performances. I really enjoyed the play. And thanks so much and best wishes for the rest of the run. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And I'm C.S. Song on Bay Area Theater for KPFA.